0: Father, we have just sung a prayer that we ask that you would work in our hearts. Lord, our desire is not to come and to hear the opinions of men. It is not I who speak, it's not my desire for me to be the one who speaks. But Lord, may your word be that which speaks. May you speak through your word today. Father, we know that Your Word is living and active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces deeply into the dividing of the joints and marrow. And Father, it is that which discerns our thoughts and the intents of our hearts. And so, Lord, today we ask that Your Word would speak to us. And Father, that we would not simply be hearers, but that we would be doers of the Word that as Your Spirit gives us ears to hear, that we would respond to Your grace at work within us by obeying what Your Word calls us to do, by seeking to honor and glorify You. Father, in all things we are dependent upon Your Spirit today. May He meet with us. May His Word, which He wrote be used by Him to illumine our hearts and to change us so that we may leave this place different than when we first came in. Father, work in our midst as only You can. We are dependent upon You in all things. We pray this in Christ's name, pleading His blood. Amen. If you take your Bibles and turn with me to Zephaniah, Zephaniah chapter 3, and we will, Lord willing, finish Zephaniah this morning. As we continue our look at what the prophets, uh, particularly these last four prophets, are calling us to do, as they till or break up the hard hearts, the hardened soil of our hearts. And we've seen how Zephaniah is a prophet of both wrath and rejoicing. He is a prophet who clearly describes the consequences for sin and lays out what happens as we rebel against the Lord. But he is also a prophet who gives hope and those who turn to the Lord, that they will be changed, that God will transform them so that they no longer turn away from the Lord, but as their hearts and souls are purified by His grace, they cry out to Him, looking to Him for hope. And so this is really what we've been looking at as we come to these last verses in verses 14 through 20 of chapter 3, where Zephaniah now takes what we've learned and uses it to launch us into worship. That everything that He's been building up until this time is given to provide for us reasons that we ought to worship. And so we looked two weeks ago at how we're called to have jubilant worship. Look with me again in verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. And we saw that the the jubilation that Zephaniah calls for is exuberant. And of course, jubilant worship is evident. These terms that he uses here are not just sort of reserved worship, but shout, exult, lift up yourself with all your heart. That that worship then must be heartfelt, using all of our hearts as we go before the Lord. And then we come because we are God's people. The command here is given to Zion, given to Jerusalem, given to those who are God's people in the place where God Himself meets with His people. And then we see the reasons given for this type of exuberant, powerful worship. And it begins with seeing that God is the God who delivers with His presence. Look again in verse 15. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. And so we saw how God's presence is that which comes to those whom He has made pure, calling on the beginning of this passage in verse 9, where He speaks about God changing the speech of the people to a pure speech. And then God's presence itself brings hope. And we looked at the numerous, the numerous different things that, that God speaks of that bring hope and the ways in which He brings hope in his presence. And then that brings us to a point where we are joyful. And that joy is sort of an echoing joy where we rejoice over what God has done for us. And then God himself rejoices over us. He sings over us with joy. And so we find great hope in those truths. Which brings us now to the final reason why we are to worship the Lord. And we worship the Lord who gathers. His people. Look at verse 20. At that time, I will bring you in. At the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says... The Lord. Zephaniah here points again to a great hope that we have, a hope that I think sometimes we miss in the busyness of life. You realize what a privilege it is to come and to gather with God's people, to be joined together. We come in these doors and, and we come from various different areas in the Pittsburgh region, we come with various different backgrounds. We come with various different burdens and and cares on our hearts, and yet, because we have this God who comes to us and brings us together, we find unity together as the Lord gathers us together. Again, Verse 20, at that time I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together. In fact, the way that Zephaniah describes this is that that this work of God in making a people, it is in many ways the very definition of this final glorious work of the day of the Lord. Again, remember, one of the main topics of the minor prophets is this idea of the day of the Lord. And and again, this is a multifaceted subject in Scripture. It deals with judgment. It deals with the cross. It deals with the Spirit coming to God's people. And it deals with ultimately God resulting in bringing a people together by His grace. This idea of bringing them in. I will bring you in it has the idea in the original of entering to, into a community specifically for the purpose of prayer and worship. And again, the usage that uses, that's used here speaks of the unity, the union that comes as a result of God's grace joining us together. It is the Lord's work to make a people for His own name. If we go back to what God sought to do in choosing the children of Abraham and making them a numerous nation, He made these promises to Abraham that his his offspring will be like the sands of the sea, that, that he will be like the stars of the heaven, that there will be a numerous group of people, but yet those people are defined and brought together for one purpose, that the Lord, that Yahweh's name would be upon them. And that is a goal that God has never abandoned. He continues to want to draw people to himself so that they may bear, bear the mark of his name. Isaiah speaks of this in Isaiah 43:19 through 21, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. And so he speaks of these great, wonderful uh, end-time promises, millennial promises. But all of that is a glorious hope to set his people up so that his chosen people may come together. The people whom he formed for himself. For what purpose? That they may what? Declare my praise. That the glory of God becomes the driving focus of these people, that he has taken away all the physical impediments, bringing, taking away the enmity between animals, bringing water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, feeding his people, providing for his people, so that those people who are formed by his name for his purpose would worship him. Ezekiel speaks of this. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. You see the the tenderness that God has for His people. This is spoken to a people who are being ravaged by uh, war, being taken apart. The nation is being fractured. Eventually, they're going to all completely go into captivity and they're not going to be in the land. And yet God promises that He will, like a loving shepherd, go and seek the lost sheep and bring them Together. He goes on, I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. And of course, we know that Jesus is the one who is the good shepherd. He is the one who seeks and saves what? The lost. What a wonderful hope we have in a God who takes us who once were not a people. And what does He do? Now we are what? God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I can't think of a better summary statement of Zephaniah than this. I mean, here is the people that are deserving of God's judgment fully. They have been corrupted from the lowest echelons of society to the highest echelons of society. From the worshiper who comes to bring a sacrifice to the Levite priest who is offering the sacrifice. Corruption runs amok through every level of society. That's what Zephaniah describes. And God's response to that is judgment. This is what you deserve. You deserve to have your blood spilt and poured out in the dust like dung, Zephaniah says. But God does not deal with us that way. He comes as a loving Savior and He gathers us together as a sheepfold. We who were once not a people now we are God's people. We who once had not received mercy now have mercy. I mean, look around yourself here. Look look around at this room. These are people whom God has saved gloriously by His grace. And, And we come together for that great hope. Should this not urge us to sing aloud and shout of the glories of our God. It is amazing to me, particularly as what we looked at in in Peter's writings, that as he describes us as a people who do not belong, strangers, foreigners, exiles in this world. And listen, we should feel that all the more the longer we live in this world, right? The closer you grow to Christ, the stranger the world should become to you. And I think if, if we talk to the aged among us, they would bear testimony to that fact. I always struggle with what like, the right term is to say for people who are advanced in age. So, aged, does that work? Anyone's offended by that? Old? Old? Okay, alright. I guess there's no sugarcoating the truth then. So the more, the more you walk in this world, the more you recognize you're not of it. And God is so gracious as to not just save you and then set you out on an island. He doesn't sit you out there to to sort of make your way yourself. He brings you together with others. You know, the purpose of this is so that you can can have relationships with people in a local community, people who are following the same Lord and encourage one another. That's why worship, Paul talks about in Ephesians, is speaking to each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That you realize that you are able to minister grace to the people here in this room as you shout and sing aloud, as Zephaniah calls us to do. We're able to help each other and minister to each other. God uses you. God has a particular purpose for you in this congregation. He's brought you together to be here so that you can grow and know the Lord more, so that you can be encouraged and walk. And so, when we consider what he's saying here in these first two phrases of verse 20, I think that the thought that goes back of those who are mourning for the fest- festivals comes into mind. You know, the people were mourning for the festivals because they couldn't go to these festivals. They, they weren't able to go. It was dangerous. The, 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 the booths had been broken down. The, the places where they would go and worship were no longer. There was just, just terrible things that they could no longer do anymore, that they used to love to do. I, I think we can sort of understand this a little bit when we consider all the stuff that went on with COVID. You know, everything's shut down, and how much did we yearn to have things go back to quote-unquote normal, right? And so when we come to worship, it is a time for us to, if I can say this reverently, be festive in the Lord together. This is a celebration time. This is a time for us to, to, to rejoice in our God. Now, is that your attitude as you come on Sundays? Or do you, are you doing it out of a sense of duty? You're doing it out of a, a sense of this is what needs to happen? Or are you doing it to minister to others and to be together and to rejoice in the Lord? Again, we've seen elsewhere as we look through this passage, God does not want half-hearted worship. He wants joyful, hopeful, heartfelt worship to Him. And so He gathers us together to worship Him. This is a great joy that we have in our Savior. But secondly, as the Lord gathers together, then we see, secondly, the Lord establishes His people. Look at verse, Look at this, this, the second two phrases. The second two phrases. That would be the third and the fourth phrases of verse 20. For I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When you think of the reputation of the church in the world today, I don't think the words renowned and praised come to mind, do they? Some of that is our own fault, isn't it? We don't act as Christ in the world as we ought to. The church is plagued with scandals. The church is plagued with, with, uh, with people who act selfishly, who don't seek to help others. That's That's everyone's experience in the church. Everyone has had a negative experience with the church. Everyone. It's the world we live in, and and that, that message goes to the world around us, and they see that. And so when we read these words, "...I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth." We have to recognize that the reason why we have renowned and renowned, the reason why we have something for the world to look on in envy about is not us, but it is that when we are gathered together in the name of the Lord, it is His presence that brings us joy. It is His presence that brings us renowned. The renowned and praise of the people is found in their hope in Christ alone. You know, there will be a day that will come where Christ will visibly descend to this world and He will reign for a thousand years. And when that day comes, it will be His people that see the blessing and the renown and praise among them I mean, think of it today. What would we think today if, if, uh, if the King of England came into these doors to worship with us? Now, I know, we're, we're rebel, uh, rebel scum or whatever. We're, 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 we're rebel patriots or whatever. We don't like the King of England. But, I mean, let's just be honest. There, there would be a, a level of, wow, we, the King of England is here. If the president came through there. We understand the connection of of honor that comes. I mean, even, even in the English system, there is this idea that the king can grant honor to those whom he knights. But we have significance of 10 billion times more in the Lord. The king of the universe dwells with us. The king of the universe walks with us. The, listen, you can talk to the creator of all things any moment of the day in prayer. You, I dare you to pick up the phone and to call the king of England or to call Joe Biden. I dare you to, I dare you to pick up the phone and think if you can even get a hold of your congressman or woman. They're like, who are you? I'm in your district. Okay. (laughs) This is completely a little bit off topic, but I saw this list of things of of most trusted professions. And um, it had nurses as number one, and doctors were like three or fourth down there, whatever. And then, you know what was lowest on the the line? 3% of people trust politicians. (laughs) Okay. we are able to have renown and praise in our relationship with the Lord of glory. I think again of that, that scene that Isaiah has where he's lifted up into the, into the heavens, he sees God's holiness. And, and Isaiah recognizes, I have nothing, I have no right to be here, I'm undone. And what does God do? He comes and he cleanses him with the coal off the altar. And now Isaiah feels and yet and is very so changed so that he can now serve the king of the universe. Isaiah speaks of this being the great hope of Israel. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. And again, same messages that Zephaniah is saying, Shout! Sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion! For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And as Psalm 17, 1 through 2 tells us, Hear a just cry, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from my lips free of deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. I don't think that's the right. That's not the right. Oh, yes, the vindication. I'm sorry. Yes, that is what I meant to say. I just need to read my notes. (laughs) Notice this idea of God's vindication becoming the vindication of his people. And and here's here's the reality of the world in which we live. The world is not going to look on us with praise and adoration and joy because we don't belong to them. And they're going to continue to persist in their sinful, rebellious ways and and go about their lives seeking to follow their own way as the rest of the world does. And they will look at us and they will see, as it's been now 2,000 years since Jesus said He was coming back and He hasn't come back yet. They're going to question and mock and scorn our hope. But listen, that day when the trumpet sounds, Christ will be vindicated. And you know who else will be vindicated along with Christ? His people. So the Lord gathers together. The Lord establishes His people. And then thirdly, the Lord blesses. His people. Look at the end of verse 20. God promises that He will restore the fortunes of His people before their eyes. Now, the question here is, what are these fortunes? What does it mean for God to restore the fortunes of His people? And I don't think Zephaniah's primary focus here is in physical blessings. Although there certainly is an aspect of that. And in particular, we must remember Zephaniah is a prophet to the people of Israel. And he is making promises to this people whom God has promised um, great promises from a physical standpoint. And he hints at those things in chapter 2 verse 7. But if if we remember what God God is doing through Zephaniah's mouth, what he's saying, the, the focus of God's redemptive work is not just simply focused on Israel. It encompasses every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation so that the promises made here find a greater and fuller fulfillment among all who turn to Christ in faith. So what does it mean then for our fortunes to be restored? Well, Remember, what is the great treasure of God's people? It is the Lord Himself. And so the great treasure of our lives that is restored to us is knowing and living in His presence every single day. Isaiah speaks of this. Isaiah 33, 5-6. The Lord is exalted, for He dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. And He will be the stability of your times. Abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. And then here it is. What is the very treasure of God's people? It is the fear of Yahweh. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. When God restores our fortunes, it is a restoration of all everyone calling upon the name of the Lord. That is the great, most valuable thing that exists in this world. Now the question that we are focused with today is, is that our greatest, most valuable treasure in this world? How easy it is to be drawn away and to seek hope in the things that don't matter. So much of this world doesn't matter. And yet that's where we put our hope. We put our hope, we put our our treasure in things where moth and rust corrupts and where thieves break through and steal. But the fear of the Lord will never fail. It is the very treasure of His people. And so if, if you think about that, if that truly is the most valuable thing that exists on this planet, the fear of the Lord, then there is nothing that this world can do that can stop God's people from coming together. How do we see this? Go to places like Afghanistan. Go to Iran. Go to China. Go to areas in Africa where people live under the threat of imprisonment, torture, and even death if they assemble together to worship. And you know what those people still do? They meet. They smuggle Bibles in. They break the law because they recognize that they are meant to serve God rather than man. And even if they are caught, they find it of more value to meet with God's people than to be free and to have their personal freedom. Can you imagine that? We're so spoiled in America. We come in here today, there's no police officers up at the top of the hill. There were no papers you had to present as you came in the door. You didn't have to make sure that you subscribed to the, to the creedal authority of the, the Church of America. None of that was happening. And yet we sometimes find other things so much more intrusive on our time to come and gather with God's people that we consider it sort of like, oh, if I can get to it, oh, if it's convenient for me. And you know what that shows? It shows that the fear of the Lord is not truly our treasure. Now, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to come at this with some legalistic idea that you have to be here every time the doors are open, and I'm not saying that even that there are times and, and seasons where you're not able to be here on Sunday mornings, but listen, if this is truly the most valuable thing in your life, if God is truly the most valuable thing in your life, then you will want to be with His people because that is what He does. He gathers us together. He restores our fortunes together by giving us Himself. There's a picture in my office Uh, it's from a a scene in a movie called the printing the printing was a movie written about um, a guy named georgie vins Uh, he was a during soviet uh, times in russia he would smuggle bibles into uh, soviet russia and there's a scene there where there's probably about it's a it's a still from the movie there's probably about i don't know six or eight feet of snow, six or eight inches of snow on the ground. They're in the middle of the woods. Everyone's bundled up with their, you know, really warm stuff. And, and what there is is there's maybe, maybe 15, 20 people gathered around. And there's a, they're singing. They have, they have songbooks in their hands and they're singing in the middle of the woods. Why would someone do that? Because the fear of the Lord is their treasure. And that brings them together. We must remember that God has blessed us with not some, not most, not the vast majority, not 99%. How much has He given us in Christ? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You want to know what it means for God to restore the fortunes of His people? It is to restore the spiritual blessings that come from knowing Him. This book ends with an appropriate ending. The last phrase is, says the Lord. And we have to recognize what Zephaniah is pointing to here is that this is not just his opinions. This is not just his hope. This is the very reality of what he seeks to have real. Not because of what he's seeking, but because it is what God has promised. Does God say anything and it not happen according to his will? No. And so this great promise... This, the entirety of what Zephaniah describes from chapter 1 to chapter 3, it all is focused on the Word of God. And so really, as you walk out these doors today, you have a choice as to what you're going to do with what you've heard. You've heard the words of the Lord. This is what God has said. Will you listen? Will you heed? Will you obey? Will you obey? Or will you go your own way? And, and I would just, if, if you're thinking of leaving here and following your own way, let me just ask you this question. Where has your own way brought you so far? Perhaps the difficulties you face in life is God using the pains of this world as a megaphone to show you you need to turn to Him and heed His words go his way, not your own. And those who do are established, are blessed, are gathered together to find great hope. These are great.